The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout, heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day. Except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth! You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great, and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive! So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe, and your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. And welcome to the Philosophia Padenis live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. This is our regular Wednesday night live classroom and chat room. And we are covering De Homine, the series from St. Thomas Aquinas, as lectured by Brother Francis Malouf. Available at Catholicism.org as a MP3 download or a CDs. If you're interested in taking the course, uh, you can just send me an email, KingDude, K-I-N-G-D-U-D-E, at MikeChurch.com. All episodes of our lecture and question and answer session featuring Brother Andre Marie are recorded and posted free of charge in a podcast that you can access on my website at MikeChurch.com. This is Dahomene, lecture number nine. Tonight is a special night. It's a night in Holy Week. Tonight is Spy Wednesday, for those of you that are keeping track. Let us go live to the St. Augustine, or I'm sorry, the St. Benedict Center, and say hello to our, uh, our instructor and our, uh, our lecturer tonight and our, our friend, the one and only brother, Andre Marie, who is standing by in a beautiful spring night in New Hampshire. Hello, brother. How are you? Good evening, Mike. I'm well. How are you doing? I um, am working on the holy part of Holy Week. (laughs) (laughs) Tain't easy, is it? (laughs) Uh, No, and I was telling uh, Mrs. Church before I left the house tonight, uh, the past couple days have been, all right, you made it all the way here? Watch this. <laughs> yep, yep. Sometimes God has little surprises for us towards the end of Lent, especially if we haven't had a, a good Lent. He he, he kind of um, uh, extracts something more of us. <laughs> well, uh, it hasn't been uh, uh, that big of an extraction, so uh, I guess I, I guess I get a B minus or a C plus thus far. I I don't know, uh, but maybe after the uh, 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 praying that I make it all the way through uh, Holy Saturday and then to to Easter morning, uh, intact and uh, not having fallen, 
uh, all will be well and all glory will be to God. So yes, it is a holy week and holiness is the password is holiness. <laughs> <laughs> so a Dahomene lecture nine, an exciting lecture. I hope everybody got a chance to listen to it. I listened to it three times now. Um, and still picking up as I always do when I listen to Brother Francis on multiple uh, to, to the same lecture more than once. Uh, tonight, when I listened to it, I uh, picked up on a few more little nuance of it. Um, a fantastic lecture to discuss. Where do you want to start? Okay, well, j- just I, I want to touch upon a, uh, a couple. I want to mention a couple of things that Brother touched upon in the lecture. Somebody might be curious as to who this. Anton Pegis is that brother kept quoting or brother quoted at some length. By the way, I had the books in my hand yesterday, probably possibly the same copies he had, but definitely the same books. He talked about getting these books uh, on St. Thomas Aquinas by Anton Pegis. And um, I found them yesterday and uh, he was reading from the, from uh, he read several opening paragraphs from the introduction that Pegis wrote to this book of, selections of St. Thomas's um, uh, writings. Now, Pegues took from the whole corpus of St. Thomas's writings, not just from the Summa Theologiae, but when you look at it, it's two huge books, and I held them in front of somebody in the office yesterday, and I said, you know, when somebody says, you know, collected writings, not the complete writings, just collected writings, of a person, and you end up with two huge tomes like this. You know the person wrote a lot, <laughs> but uh, it was those books. And Pegues was a great; he was great, part of the great Thomistic revival that started after um, the encyclical Eterni Patris by Pope Leo the Thirteenth, which revived uh, Thomism, or arguably started the new movement they called Thomism in the uh, in the in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. And um, Pegues was was a, a, a he was an American. Um, he was born in uh, in in uh, I think um, Minnesota, and he ended up um, eventually going to um, uh, Toronto to Canada and studied under the great Etienne Gilson. Got his PhD uh, under Gilson at the Pontifical Institute uh, for for Medieval Studies which was very world famous um, and studied under Peggy's, got his PhD and then um, taught, taught there as well. And he taught at the University of Toronto um, for, for years. And then, um, and then he ended up teaching at a couple of other places as well. But um, he was a great uh, Thomistic scholar, great medieval uh, scholar, translated uh, an edition of the uh, the other Summa of St. Thomas, the Summa Contra Gentiles, and some other works as well. Um, so he was part of this massive Thomistic revival that went on in the early part of the 20th century. Okay. And um, uh, because of that, uh, he, he won great renown in philosophical, mostly philosophical um, circles. So uh, that's who Brother was reading about this whole thing about um, what it was, where it was that St. Thomas disagreed with Plato. And I think we should spend some time um, talking about that. But another, just a quick couple of um, um, points before we proceed. I dropped uh, a link, by the way, to encyclopedia.com where you can read the entry on Anton Pegis in case you're interested in learning a little bit more about him. Okay. But I also dropped into the into the chat room 
um, the, the biblical reference in the fifth chapter of the epistle to the Galatians, on, where we find the fruits of the Holy Ghost, um, those 12 fruits that Brother spoke about, which was pretty much the burden of, of this evening's lecture. That's right. Um, and then uh, I also put up the Dropbox for the notes. Did I put in the Dropbox link? You did. Um, I you meant did. to. No, you did. It's there. It's there. Okay, good. I put in the Dropbox link to those notes. And then lastly, there's um, I put in a link to the, in fact, a quote f- uh, from the Summa showing St. Thomas talking about um, the fruits. Brother makes the point that the fruits are assigned um, to the virtues, but the Beatitudes are assigned to the gifts. We can explain that a little bit more later, but I, I pinpointed the part in the Summa where St. Thomas actually says that, because sometimes it's fun to see just how St. Thomas himself says it. So there it is. It's on the I answer that part. Um, it wasn't me answering. It was St. Thomas answering that I posted in there. So let's talk about Plato, shall we? Yes, we shall. Okay, so in the, in the 13th century, um, brother, uh, brother says, and he's quoting Peggy's here. This is Anton Peggy's speaking, uh, or I'm paraphrasing, brother paraphrasing Peggy's. Um, there were three things about Plato where um, uh, St. Thomas disagreed. So three, three parts of the, the Platonic school or the Platonic doctrine that St. Thomas um, disagreed with, even though he was very intrigued by Plato himself. And uh, Plato was such a philosopher that when you're going to disagree with him, you should have a certain amount of um, fear and trembling in doing so, um, in the sense that you're disagreeing with one of the great trailblazers in this, in this enterprise of, of, uh, of, of metaphysics. And um, so... But Plato had some serious issues, and um, he he separated being from becoming. Um, he taught that uh, the, he, he separated the soul from the body, and in, in different degrees of um, seriousness, the Platonic doctrine on the relationship of the soul to the body has led to 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 various errors, um, all the way from the the soul sort of being a a, a guest in the body uh, to being a prisoner in the body, and uh, and of course Plato held for the doctrine of the transmigration of souls, which is a problem. We can explain that a little bit more. The third one is that Plato taught that all knowledge is a matter of remembering. And, of course, that comes along with the doctrine of the transmigration of souls. And where, where what, what Pegues put his finger on as the central point where Plato failed, where, where Plato was really in error, was where he dishonored matter, where, where matter, you know, the, 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 that which is tangible, touchable, the, the material element, uh, is something evil and or just something we have to sort of grudgingly tolerate instead of something which is integral to the good creation that god made and historically what has to be understood of saint thomas's rejection of the platonic doctrine is the fact that in saint thomas's own day 
there was a, a, a huge heresy. It was still around, even though St. Dominic had done, the founder of the Dominicans, of course, St. Thomas's own order, St. Dominic had done a great deal in the, in the, in the, 13th, in the um, early part of the 13th century to uh, work to eradicate the um, uh, Albigensian heresy, which was essentially a revival of the ancient Manichaean heresy. St. Uh, Dominic had done a great deal to eradicate it, and so, quite frankly, did the Albigensian Crusades, which were, yes, bloody wars in southern France. The last one, uh, right, brother? That's four. That... What's that? Isn't that Crusade Four? Uh, well, it's not numbered. Um, it's not given a number because when we number the Crusades, those are usually the ones in the Holy Land. Okay. Uh, there, there were numerous crusades, dozens perhaps of crusades when you want to take everything that was called a crusade legitimately. Um, but, uh, but I mean, they talk about seven or eight crusades in the Holy Land, but um, that, that's, that's like an error of assuming that crusades are just the, 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 war, the wars that took place in the Holy Land for the recovery of of the holy sites. Well, let's be honest, uh, brother. With the St. Benedict Center, the crusade is not over. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I mean, when you define a crusade strictly, even when you define a crusade strictly, um, as, in a, as in a war fought uh, for, for the faith uh, at, the, at the command of the Pope, um, it has to be authorized by the Pope. There were dozens, perhaps, of crusades all across Europe in, in German lands and pagan lands. and But... Um, looking, looking uh, more into the uh, the 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 error. Of, what was the error of Albigensianism? The error of Albigensianism was that matter is evil. That God created the good God created spirits, and um, you know angels and pure spirits and things like that uh, in this elaborate uh, hierarchical arrangement, and the evil principle, the evil God, which is equally powerful to the good God, created matter. And, and he's an evil, sinister trickster. And what he did was he ended up trapping spirits into matter. So that's what men are. Men are spirits trapped in matter. And the whole, the whole um, of religion, you might say, for these people, the whole of your uh, uh, pursuit of goodness and God and, and virtue and purity and all that is to uh, disbirth in yourself of this evil, which is matter. So in the, Al in the, in the, in the Albigensian religion, uh, which was essentially, uh, by the way, brought back to the West from the East by some very misled crusaders, not everything that happened in the Crusades was good. Um, so in addition to re really good, pleasant uh, uh, Middle Eastern spices that they brought to flavor their very dull-flavored uh, uh, European food at the time, they also brought some bad thinking. And part of that bad thinking was Manichaeanism, and it became the Albigensian heresy because it was situated mostly in and around the city of Albi in southern France. And so teaching now that there's that matter is evil and that and that and that uh, spirit is good and that corrupt. And it, I mean, you can see what this does. It destroys the sacraments because the sacraments have matter. It means marriage is evil because why? Because procreation is evil, because every time there's procreation, there's a new spirit trapped. There's a spirit that's newly trapped in matter. And literally for the Albigensian 
Albigensians, suicide becomes uh, quasi-sacramental. Wow. So it was a really, really, really evil religion. Um, and the, uh, the, the, now, now, of course, you can't blame it all on Plato. Plato had nothing to do with it. But the platonic disregard for matter is something that St. Thomas certainly saw. Practically speaking, you cannot refute the Manichaean errors if you have this platonic doctrine which dismisses matter. And St. Thomas realized when you, when you look at the entire deposit of the Christian faith, in fact, when you look at reality, you have in, in creation that God created. And what did he do? A at the end of every um, thing that he created, all, all the six days of creation in the book of Genesis, the Hebrew word, and Craig can back me up on this, the Hebrew word for good is tov, T-O-V, tov. At the end of every uh, thing that he created, at the end of every act of creation, God looked at it and said that it was tov. He looked at it and saw that it was good. And this is material creation we're talking about. He creates, the, he creates, the, you know, the, the the land and the sea and the sun and the stars and the and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the animals and the rivers and all of these things. He separates the waters above the firmament from all below the firmament. All of these acts that God created. At the end of everything, he looks at it and he says, "God saw it and and he beheld it and it was good." So, you can't say that and say. That matter is just this rather useless or, you know, un, uh, uh, necessary evil or whatever you want to call it and dismiss it uh, as Plato tended to do. It just does not conform to, uh, certainly it does not conform to the reality of supernatural revelation. And even, and Aristotle held this because he disagreed with his teacher, Plato, on, these, on this point. It even does not correspond to. Oh, thanks, Craig, back me up. It 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 it, it does not correspond to uh, the reality that we can see with our own eyes. Uh, where where um, you know because remember Plato held that rea reality is in the world of the spirits, and reality is in the heaven of the ideas. And what we see, we're in this cave. Remember the platonic analogy of the cave? The cave. This earth is the cave. What we see is the shadows. And, and, and by remembering, that's what education is for, for, the, for a platonic, by remembering to what, from when we were created, when we were just pure spirits, who tr transmigrated ourselves through various souls. By the way, that's reincarnation. Transmigration of souls, or if you want to sound fancy about it, um, uh, um, metempsychosis, metempsychosis. Um, this is nothing more than what we call reincarnation. So this is a platonic doctrine. And uh, you, but before all of those reincarnations, when you were just a pure spirit, you're remembering to this realm of the pure ideas. That's what education is for Plato. Right. And and, and brother, in, a, in another lecture, I think it was uh, in the Philosophy of Perennis series, brother Francis brought up his, one of his favorite philosophers, Chesterton, and he said Chesterton had commented or had written something about this, and that he had something to the effect of he had always wanted to to, to know how to speak German. And that he tried to think like uh, like a Platonist, but he just couldn't remember it. Was the joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, br brother quoted 
uh, or didn't quote, but he referenced Chesterton in tonight's lecture for the for the j just in in passing to say that what what Peggy has to say in very careful philosophical language when he's talking about where Saint Thomas disagrees with Plato. Um, Chesterton spelled out in in Chesterton's own sort of what you might call penetrating commonsensical prose in that beautiful biography of St. Thomas that he wrote. And, 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 and to all listeners and everybody in the chat room and everybody part of the Veritas Radio Network family here, read Chester, if you've never read it, read Chesterton's fine book on the life of St. Thomas Aquinas. It's absolutely beautiful. It's currently in print. I think it's Ignatius Press as an edition of that book and Chesterton's Life of St. Francis of Assisi. One was written towards the beginning of his writing career, the other towards the end, and they're both brought together in, in, in between two covers in one volume, and it's an excellent, excellent, both books are excellent, but the one on St. Thomas, um, Etienne Gilson, whom I earlier mentioned, read Chesterton's book on St. Thomas. Now keep in mind, Gilson was was it was a medieval scholar he had a, he had a doctoral level so he was teaching doctoral level students he taught anton peggy's um and his his knowledge of saint thomas was uh stupendous i mean this is a world-class scholar of saint thomas chesterton chesterton was not chesterton you know spot read the summa but uh gilson said after reading Chesterton's book, he said, it's a book that I wish I had written. Yeah, I remember that. So there's something about that book that, that'll give you a, a really good, profound introduction to St. Thomas's thinking, and particularly on the along these lines of where he disagrees with Plato. So matter is not evil, matter is good. And when, when you believe in this idea that, that a spirit is, uh, uh, that the soul is like, a, like an angel trapped in matter, and it escapes, but you know, it dies, and then it goes into another body, another body, another body, and eventually it's going to somehow migrate its way into the pure realm of ideas. Once you have that idea in your head, you denigrate matter, and you depreciate matter, and you also depreciate the data that comes to you from your senses, and you, you deny the way that we know. So when we say in Thomistic fashion that um, there's nothing in the intellect that wasn't first in the senses, we're we're actually dissing Plato. <laughs> We're saying, no, Plato was wrong. We know in our, now, of course, God can infuse something into the intellect directly. Some saints had infused knowledge of things. Okay, that's, that's, that's possible, but that's not how we normally learn. According to the Platonic doctrine, learning is going back to something you already knew. That's not our experience, as Brother Francis says. We come into this world a tabula rasa, a blackboard all erased. <laughs> that's that's how we come into the world. Um, okay, so you can get that. You can get the, uh, for nine bucks. You can get that book uh, at the Chesterton.org website. Dale Alquist's American Chesterton Society edition of it. Um, thanks, Richard Bianconi. Um, so. That that's our introduction to where St. Thomas parted from the Platonic doctrine. Um, so uh, Let's ID real quick, brother. This is the Philosophy of Perennis live classroom and chat room. Uh, we are studying Dahomene, uh, the lectures uh, that were given by Brother Francis Malouf back in the 1980s. There are 31 in the series tonight. His lecture number nine, we're not 
airing the lectures. You can get the lectures and listen to them on your own at Brother's site at Catholicism.org. And uh, uh, if you ask Brother, he'll also extend you a Crusade Channel discount on downloading the series or any of the other audio series from the Philosophia Perani series. Uh, We record these sessions every Wednesday night. We are here, 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time, and they are free of charge, uh, posted on my website at MikeChurch.com. If you click on my Catholicism menu item at the top of the page, uh, one of the selections is Philosophia Perennis, and all I have in there right now are the Dahomey Lectures. There is also a podcast that you can subscribe to, and when we upload tonight's file, tonight's lecture, which we are recording right now, uh, it will appear immediately on the podcast feed if you are following it. Let's also ask Brother, uh, tonight is a brand new episode of his smash hit radio show, Reconquest. Brother, what's on tonight's episode of Reconquest? Well, tonight's episode is going to be a little controversial. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's called Father Dennis Fahey, Apostle of Christ the King. Mm-hmm. And my guest, it's the second time I've had Doug on. My guest is Douglas Bursaw, the founder and president of Loretto Publications, who's bringing a lot of... Uh, I interviewed him before on his Cornelius Alapide project, now, uh, t- this time I'm interviewing him on um, Father Fahey because he's bringing a lot of Father Fahey's works back into print. Brother, when I uh, wrote on my site about the uh, theory of just war and about the uh, not just actions taken by President Trump last Thursday, and when I was cruising around looking for some wiser men than me to quote, I actually found through a Google search your listing of Cornelius Delapide at Catholicism.org. And I don't know if you saw it, but I grabbed a paragraph from it and uh, and quoted him on it. Ha! Huh. Really? <laughs> I did. Delapide on just war? Well, it wasn't really on just war, but okay. it was. Uh, it, it, that was the subject that I uh, that I had started with. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had quoted uh, Delapide, and I got it from Catholicism.org. Great. Hey, thanks. Thanks for I think the plug. I, actually, I think I actually got it from a, a a piece that you wrote where you quoted him, and I just took your quote and credited you. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. Yeah. The the um, the it, it, anyway. So we go. So yeah. I mean, if 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 the worldview of Father Fahey were um, actually being uh, attempted uh, in, in in the practical order of things, we we wouldn't. We really wouldn't be. Um, globetrotting for um, democracy and trying to spread our, trying to inflict our way of life on people who don't want it. Um, but uh, that's another subject that, that, we, that, that we could spend way too much time on. <laughs> and we would. We would. We would. <laughs> um, so, the, um, yeah, well, Craig says, how can, how can the normal be controversial? Yeah, well, that's the way that it is, Craig. <laughs> When, when what's when 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 everyone else is abnormal, what's normal becomes radical and controversial. Um, so, getting back to Saint, getting back to Saint Thomas here, rather to Brother Francis's uh, lecture here. So he spends a lot of time talking about matter and why we defend matter, but then he gives some some um, uh, parts of w- what we need to appreciate about Philosophia Perennis, about our our. St- sound tradition of philosophy and he made three points he said it's to be the ancilla theologia that is the handmaid of theology because philo- philosophical truth should always be at the service um, to the truth that comes to us as revealed by god 
Secondly, that Philosophia Perennis, that is the perennial philosophy, um, is meant to be a tradition. That is something handed down. That's what tradition means, of course, literally something handed down. Tradere being the Latin word for hand over or hand down, but also in the sense of something permanent and enduring. And it's something based on objective truth, and it doesn't change or vary from age to age. It's not a fad or fashion. Now, the point, the fact is, as, as learning changes in other fields, as real learning, like, for instance, real science, um, St. Thomas was able to uh, incorporate the scientific discoveries of his own day with his philosophical outlook. It's not to say that learning stops in the 13th century. No, I mean, you're going to learn more. But what we need, and, 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 th and this is a problem in all education today, one of the reasons that you need the study of philosophy is because learning becomes more and more specialized. And as as knowledge develops in a lot of these empirical sciences, uh, and, uh, you know, as it were, these you, you get these different little rabbit holes that break off of specialized knowledge, and there will be legitimate progress in the sciences. That's just a fact. As you have that... You need something as a common vision that is going to be the unifying factor of all knowledge. And that's the job of philosophy. So St. Thomas definitely had the ability to incorporate modern discoveries of his own day. You know, it's been claimed that the, the, the greatest advances in technology historically happened during the Middle Ages. Uh, I don't. I can't say. I don't know enough of the history, frankly, to say that that claim is true or not. John Horvat has this in his book. I'm reading it now on um, the restoration of uh, return to order. Return to order. But he quotes a scholar, a medieval scholar, saying that the the uh, the greatest progress in technology historically took place during the Middle Ages. Um, when all, all sorts of agricultural things developed, all sorts of me mechanized approaches to, to labor uh, were advanced during the Middle Ages and rather revolutionized the, uh, the approach to, to work and the approach to um, certain um, uh, common, common labor. Things that were done over and over and over again could be done in a more mechanized fashion. So uh, the the middle the Middle Ages was far from a, a stagnant intellectual period like like your modern post Enlightenment man tends to think that it was. So my point is there was legitimate scientific discovery. Science wasn't frozen from the time of Aristotle to the time of Saint Thomas, and Saint Thomas's philosophy could incorporate into it observations of modern science. So too a modern a modern scholar can, uh, w with the grounding in Philosophia Perennis, incorporate data from modern scientific observation and not worry about it contradicting his, his uh, worldview that he has from Philosophia Perennis. So uh, even though it's a tradition, it's not something totally stagnant. Okay, But unlike modern philosophical systems, it's not a fad, it's not a fashion, and it doesn't just have some guy's name stuck to it. Brother Francis didn't like calling it Thelmism. He preferred to call it Philosophia Perennis. And then lastly, it's also called the Regina Scienciarum et Artium, the queen of the sciences and the arts. Because it's only when, when it is uh, mature philosophy that order and purpose can get into all of the activities of man. So it, it talks about, it ta you know, 
when you have learning in any field, but you forget um, ultimate causes and when you forget purpose and ends, which these are deeply philosophical questions, um, learning in all these other, other fields just becomes a bunch of detached facts. It's, it's just data, huh? It's not something that, that's got a life to it, and it's not something that's got a, a, um, a structure to it. It's just all a bunch of stuff, not connected. Um, so I think from there we can hop into the study of the, um, the Beatitudes. Uh, rather, rather, not the Beatitudes. The fruits. The, the fruits of the Holy Ghost. So Brother had said last week as well as this week that all, all of the Beatitudes are fruits, but not all of the fruits are Beatitudes. And um, this is something that, that he got right out of St. Thomas. And um, St. Thomas says the Beatitudes being more perfect than the fruits. Of course, the Beatitudes are those eight Beatitudes that our Lord preached in the Sermon on the Mount that started his preaching career. Um, you know, and, and it's a nice contrast between the way God spoke in the Old Testament when, when he spoke on Mount Sinai and there was thunder and lightning and the sound of a trumpet and, and all this in the mountain was on fire, it was smoking. Um, Moses is getting the law in, in this very scary way and Christ comes, in, God incarnate, and starts to, to preach the new law. He too goes up into a mountain, but instead of all of this, you know, thunder and lightning and, and it's very, very frightening and all that... <laughs> Uh, sorry, a little queen reference there. Um, he's up on the top of the mountain, a very peaceful bucolic scene. You can almost picture, you know, hear birds chirping and butterflies fluttering by and all that. And our Lord gets up there. He opens his mouth and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, etc." So he gives the eight Beatitudes at the very beginning of his public preaching. And the irony is, it's not the irony, it's the brilliance of our Lord in a sense He's giving, he's talking about the absolute summit of the spiritual perfection of the Christian life in those eight Beatitudes. Our Lord literally began with the end. And this is, he didn't start by, who made me? God made me. Uh, he didn't give you the first few questions of the Baltimore Catechism when he started. He started with the bang. He talked about, he, he's, our Lord started with teleology. He started with, okay, guys. I'm going to do a lot of preaching, you know, over the next three years before I, you know, give up my life for your salvation. But let me let me give you a little picture of what I want you to achieve. And he gives us a snapshot of a perfect saint in preaching the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes have a note of perfection to them. The fruits are not as exalted as the Beatitude, but they're they're but they're good. Okay, they're nothing to shake nothing to shake a stick at. We number the fruits, we name the fruits in this way. There are 12 of them. There's charity, joy, peace, patience, benignity, goodness, long-suffering, mildness, fidelity, modesty, continency, and chastity. Now, I'm saying fidelity. Brother said faith. But then when he went on to explain faith, he explained that it really means fidelity or loyalty uh, not because it's distinct from the theological virtue of faith. And what St. Paul says, and I, and I put in the reference there uh, to Galatians chapter 5, where he enumerates these, St. Paul says, against these there is no law. And um, uh, he has just contrasted them with the, with, the, um, with the works of the flesh, 
which are and he, which is a longer list all of the horrible things that all the horrible sins that people commit but saint thomas asks the question why are they called fruits and they're fruits for a couple of reasons number 1 they are the produce of the life of virtue so when you live when you live the life when you live the virtues when you live those those um, four cardinal virtues as well as the three theological virtues when you're practicing a life of virtue and you're getting habitual at it and you're becoming better eventually the difficulty the arduousness of practicing virtue that that that's there in the beginning when the virtue becomes more deeply rooted in the soul eventually there becomes t- there become times when when certain acts of those virtues become sweet and enjoyable it's no longer arduous it's no longer just drudgery there's something sweet there's a consolation that comes from it so they're called fruits because if you look at the virtue as the root or maybe the root and the stem um the thing that's produced is a fruit so they're called fruits because they're produce right they're produce of the life of virtue that's one reason but the other reason is because there's a sweetness in these acts and saint thomas says and brother brother francis highlighted it that unlike the virtues which are habits the fruits are acts remember we distinguish these four things that we can find in, in in any man we can study four things in man we can study his nature his powers his habits and his acts and remember how last week we talked about when we look at brute animals and their powers and so forth and their with their potencies and their nature all we can talk about is their nature their powers and their acts there are no habits habits do not perfect the powers of animals animal powers come sort of pre-perfected and then they just carry out the acts that are proper to that for man though we learn virtue we 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 can be morally perfected by the life of virtue as well as other habits um like skills and so forth but remember earlier brother francis said in in the earlier parts of the philosophical premise discussion that there's no there's no uh such thing as the baroque style of of uh of of bird nest building or beehive or, yeah we don't we don't have gothic beehives <laughs> they they come and they there's no ingenuity here there's no art they just know how to do this stuff for us we have to learn the skill we have to learn that what the greek called the techne the art or the or the skill the art craft and then and then we can have this development huh of these different um of these different uh, eras in in these arts. Uh, so when we study those four areas in man of his nature, his powers, his habits, and his acts, we can distinguish therefore between habits and acts. The virtues are habits. The fruits of the Holy Ghost are acts. Okay, but we can identify each one of them going back to the practice of some virtue. Obviously, when chastity uh, is spoken of as a fruit. it obviously connects to the virtue of chastity which is a part of the cardinal virtue of temperance and we could similarly take all of these things uh and connect them back somehow like for instance long suffering which is an act there's a sweet imagine there's a sweetness to suffering imagine that there's a sweetness that comes at times 
from 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 bearing your cross and 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 suffering patiently that goes back to 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 uh patience which is a part of the cardinal virtue of fortitude so we can connect all of these fruits back to some virtue now the beatitudes which are higher because in addition to sweetness and in addition to a relative ease that that's another thing about the fruits there's an ease that comes from them and that's part of the concept of sweetness. There's an ease in their practice. So the Beatitudes have all that too, but the Beatitudes have about them an aspect of perfection. It's the summit of the Christian life. And St. Thomas says of the Beatitudes that they are a foretaste of the heavenly life. This is the Philosophia Perennis classroom and chat room lecture series. Tonight we are covering uh, De Homine, lecture number nine, from Brother Francis Malouf. And uh, while we are not airing the lecture, and we never do, uh, we are discussing the lecture, and uh, Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center of Richmond, New Hampshire, is our teacher tonight, our instructor, who is assisting us to go through the notes. I invite you, if you're listening to this on the Crusade Channel stream, surf on over to mikechurch.com, my website, and uh, click the Catholicism and then Philosophia Pardenis tab, and come to the Dahomey classroom and join the chat room. It's free, don't cost nothing. And uh, this is lecture series, this is lecture number nine, there are 31 in total. The previous eight are all available on my website at mikechurch.com, the audio version of the lecture, I should say. And uh, there is a podcast link there um, uh, on each one of the individual uh, podcast uh, pages or content items, and you could subscribe to the podcast if you'd like. And it will update automatically once per week once we save tonight's lecture and process it and get it ready for uh, for re-airing. Later on, after this class is concluded, right here on the Crusade Channel, Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest will present a brand new episode that has never been heard before. If you missed any of Brother's previous... Give me a number, Brother. Seventy. Seventy. Seventy episodes. They're all available at crusadechannel.com then uh, as individual downloads you can download them for uh, for 99 cents if you're not a Founders Past member if you are and you should be well then uh, you just click on the appropriate category in the Crusade Channel show menu it'll take you right to it also if you're looking for recaps from each episode you can go to brother's site reconquest.net and uh, every episode is cataloged there by number and who the guest was or what the topic was with further reading materials and much more. So that is all available to you. And if you're interested in this lecture series or in studying philosophy uh, uh, in general, you can find Brother Andre Marie and talk to him about it. He's hiding in plain sight on Twitter. He's at Brother underscore Andre. And on Facebook, he's Brother Andre Marie. All right, brother, we uh, have, we're at the, uh, it's not the two-minute warning in football, it's the 12-minute warning in philosophy. Uh, <laughs> still plenty okay. of time. All right, so, so we've got, so we've got, it's good we've got some time because we've got, we got some more ground to cover. Um, but, but actually, first, there were two questions in the, in the chat room, um, a couple of questions. Okay, John Anderson asks, do acts that become habits become virtues? Okay, um, the the answer the short answer is yes when acts when you do an act repeatedly that is a virtuous act let's say you do something to show fortitude okay you stand up to the bully okay uh the first time you do it it's hard okay but when you do it more often 
um, the fortitude becomes more habitual. The acts themselves become habitual. So obviously one act is not a habit. One act is one act. But a succession of such acts helps to develop a habit, just as vices are, are formed in us by uh, repeatedly bad acts, okay? So, um, yeah, the, the good act, as long as the act is good, <laughs> uh, if it becomes habitual, it becomes a virtue. That's the nature of virtue. The difference between the acts that lead to the acquisition of the virtue and the acts that we call the fruits of the Holy Ghost is that those first few acts, those first acts that lead to the um, deepening and fo formation of the virtue are uh, difficult when the when the when that habit is so is so deeply rooted in the soul uh, that the acts become done with ease and pleasure and sweetness. That's when it's a, that's when we talk about the fruits of the Holy Ghost. And of course, we're talking about not just natural virtue here. We're talking about virtue lived in, in the context of the life of grace. And only then can you call it the fruit of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so hopefully I answered that. And then Craig Silverman says, can a habit be classified as an accident? Is that what you're asking, Craig? Is, can a habit uh, be classified as an accident? Um, well, uh, yes, it is. It is an accident. It, 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 in fact, must be classified as an accident because you, there's not a substantial change in your soul when you acquire the habit how do we how do we define habit? It's a stable disposition of soul. It's a stable disposition of soul. It's a stable quality. Excuse me, stable quality of soul. Quality is one of the nine categories of accident, according to to Aristotle. So the answer is a big yes. A habit uh, is an accident of the soul. Um, okay, so uh, m moving on a bit. Um, Brother talks about how um, there are he, – he talked a little bit about fidelity. And again, when Saint, depending on the translation of Scripture you're using, St. Paul will talk about either fidelity or faith, but, but it means fidelity. In other words, uh, that you trust another man's word and that another man can trust your word. And Brother goes on to talk about the, the high Christian culture of the time of feudalism – was it was a, a culture that was so based on fidelity? It was based upon fidelity. And um, one thing that I noticed when studying that that era um, was that it was a time that was very much defined by oaths and vows. Uh, you even had you had laymen, lots of laymen that took um, vows, uh, like they would make a vow to go on a holy land, a vow to go on a crusade. They take up the crusaders cross and 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 um and in so doing they they uh, swore an oath that they would go on crusade vows and oaths are technically different but they're very related things and the culture of of, of the ages of faith was very much a culture of the vow and the oath and and the the worst thing that could be said about a man was that he was an oath breaker or that he was he had he had gone back on his word. That was one of the, it was a horrible thing to say about a person. Nowadays, we fully expect it of the political class, fully expect it. So you know, we say, "How do you tell a politician's lying? His lips are moving," and we all laugh at it, but we all expect it fully. 
that would have been a shocking thing in the ages of faith. A lie was a horrible thing because your word meant something, huh? Uh, in the ages of faith. So fidelity is so very important. And 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 when you have a true a, a true culture that's that's worth anything, when you have a true Christian culture, you have a culture where fidelity means something, where you can have vows and oaths that are not only taken but lived and respected. Um, okay, so that's one of those fruits of the Holy Ghost that is very important uh, socially uh, because it builds a society of trust. Huh? All right, um, then Brother Francis talks about um, three. He, now, the spiritual writers classically talk about the spiritual life being being distinguished in three phases. There's the, the, the uh, purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. And and Brother doesn't talk about it explicitly, but he talks about three significant movements in the spiritual life. The first one, and he uses the, the Latin word, lucta. Uh, lucta. 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 Um, and uh, it mean, which comes from the word for wrestling in, 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 uh, in Latin. Um, so th- th- this is, Brother defined it as struggle. So this is struggle in the spiritual life. That's the, that's the purgative way. Then he talked about aridity, and that's where we're growing in virtue, but there's a, we're growing in virtue and we're growing in holiness, but, but we have to drag ourselves through lots of dry spells, like arid, like the arid desert, aridity. So you have to do a lot of sort of naked acts of the will that don't have much consolation involved. And this corresponds to the uh, um, illuminative way. And then you have the peak of the spiritual life, which, which the great saints achieved, uh, which we call the unitive way. And Brother spoke of that in terms of sweetness and peace. And there we see very much the predominance of the fruits of the Holy Ghost, and then also, he doesn't say it because he's not talking about tonight, but the Beatitudes as well. Uh, And then he recaps, he says, the fruits are any virtuous act or deeds in which a man delights. So when you perform an act of virtue, I don't mean when you perform an act of virtue and then after you just say, oh, I feel pretty good about myself. It's not that. During the act itself, there's a certain sweetness Whereas normally it would be very, very difficult. That's what marks it off as one of the fruits of the Holy Ghost and not just a mere act of virtue. Um, Now, Brother says, and this he gets from St. Thomas, the fruits of the Holy Ghost and Beatitudes are both acts. The Beatitudes are all fruits, but not all of the fruits are Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are higher. Uh, in the Beatitudes, in addition to the note of sweetness, we have the note of perfection. Remember, I said, brother, when uh, our Lord spoke on the Sermon on the Mount and talked about the Beatitudes, gave us the Beatitudes, he gave us a snapshot, as you, uh, if you will, of the, the height of perfection. And again, St. Thomas calls the Beatitudes an anticipation of, of the life of glory in this life. Um, all right. So let's see. What is it? Do we have any questions in the chat room? Let's see. Uh, there was one earlier. I think you answered it. Um, can a habit be classified as possible accidents? Yeah, no, no. We, we, we did that already. You covered that one. Uh, okay, so good. So we're, 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 we're fine. Hopefully the, the absence of questions means either people are listening and getting it or, or, um, whatever. Uh, hopefully it's a good sign, not a bad sign. Um, 
Okay. So don't the uh, gifts um, of the Holy Ghost precede the fruits? We already covered that, right? No, um, no. Well, okay. So the the gifts connect to okay the the the, the fruits of the Holy Ghost. Brother Francis says it. The fruits of the Holy Ghost are connected to the virtues. Okay. But the beatitudes are connected to the uh, the the gifts of the Holy Ghost. So the more the Holy Ghost and, and and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, by the way, are dispositions in our soul that have to be put into motion by operative grace coming from the Holy Ghost. And um, Brother said it in this lecture, and it's said in many, many explanations of the gifts. The difference between the life of the virtue, but the difference between the gifts and the and the virtues is that in the virtues, it's like we're rowing in our little rowboat. The acts, we're doing it with the help of God, yes, but the acts is more our work with God helping us along. But when we have the gifts of the Holy Ghost operating, it's as if a sail comes up and the wind blows into the sail and it's much easier. huh? We go further now, the, the concept here is that the, the gifts of the Holy Ghost perfect the acts of the virtues, but it's, it's more the Holy Ghost operating than us. We're not, we're, we can't impede the work. If we, do, if, we tried, if we impeded the work, it wouldn't happen. We have to be more supple. huh? We have to be like a good sail. But when God puts those gifts of the Holy Ghost in it, it's like in us, he puts these dispositions that can later be put into act. And and the more we live the life of virtue, the more open we are, the more disposed we are to the activity of the Holy Ghost in our souls. So for St. Thomas, the, the repeated acts of virtue lead to the fruits of the Holy Ghost, but the greater activity of the gifts of the Holy Ghost are what leads to the life of perfection in the Beatitudes. And by the way, I have it here in St. Thomas. I, that's why I pasted it from St. Thomas earlier on. For the fruits are any virtuous deeds in which one delights, whereas the Beatitudes are none but perfect works, and which, by reason of their perfection, are assigned to the gifts rather to the virtues, as has already been stated. So St. Thomas assigns the, uh, the Beatitudes to the life of the virtues, where, uh, to the life of the gifts, rather, Whereas the the fruits are assigned to the to the virtues, that uh, makes sense, Dudas Maximus. There's <laughs> a lot. To, uh, that's why I've listened to the uh, lecture three times because uh-huh. uh, that's a lot to take in, and I think you could spend a uh, significant amount of time in a classroom going over each and every one of them. Uh, but I don't think just if we go back to logic, lecture number three or four where brother says, you don't need a pencil and piece of paper to write everything down to, uh, to, to get it. <laughs> you just keep yep. listening. You keep, you keep listening and you keep learning. And as you learn, uh, it will become, because uh, uh, he says it's all connected, right? It's all connected. So you know, if, you, if you've had any of the previous courses, then you have a bit of a foundation uh, from, uh, 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 that you've already built on that as a basis. And uh, so the terminology makes sense. The, the logic of it, and there's a lot of logic in this, makes sense. So, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. 
I'm just trying to figure out which ones I, uh, which ones I have and which ones I don't. <laughs> yeah, when you, you when you when you read listen to these things, oh, you mean you mean of of these actual things, the virtues, the gifts. The, I, the, the, I the said that yeah. I said that in jest because I don't have anything. Yeah. What's been granted me, uh, or which ones have been granted me thus far, um, uh, or I've been blessed with, or I've been uh, received the grace to 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 begin to use and to practice, brother. We have thirty seconds to wrap up. Um, uh, well, actually, no, that's wrong. We have a minute and thirty seconds to wrap up. Um, next week will be uh, after Easter, obviously, and we'll be back again for Dahomey lecture number ten. You know, Mike, Mike, sorry, I meant to tell you this beforehand. Next week, I'm going to be away on retreat. Oh, okay. So next week is spring break. Yeah, everybody sorry. meet at Pismo Beach for uh, uh, for my ties. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> my ties and roasted pork and um, uh, Josh Will is buying. Yeah, well, great, great. Well, me- meanwhile, <laughs> I'll be I'll be on retreat in another, in another monastery at an undisclosed location, uh, trying trying to uh, trying to get holy and stuff like that. I was going to say you're not going to be in Mark Levin's bunker, are you? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, folks, uh, now we have uh, we're at the thirty second warning here. Uh, it's it, this is a fascinating series of studies here, and uh, you might know my uh, my brothers and sisters that are that are uh, taking this tour with us. That as we get more uh, higher in the numbers, we get more into the details of a spiritual life that I fancy many of us were not familiar with until we started this course. Um, brother, thank you. Enjoy the retreat. We'll see you in two weeks. All right. See you in two weeks, Mike. God bless everybody. This is the Crusade. Blessed, blessed Easter. This is the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers.